Warning, the following podcast contains irreverent humor, uneducated and exceptionally nerdy opinions, potential cursing, and plenty of love for the prequels. If any of the preceding offends you, please turn off your computer immediately, and may the Force be with you. Why, you stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder! You can't use that word! Only we can use that word! There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? On this episode of the Nerf Herder Council, the initial episode of the Nerf Herder Council, we discuss the only thing that matters in the Star Wars universe right now, Episode 7, The Force Awakens, and our reaction. Well, I mean, Episode 7 is the only thing that matters in the Star Wars universe. I wasn't saying that our opinion is the only thing that matters. I meant that the movie, it's... uh, Anyway, just listen to the damn podcast. You're tuned in to the Nerf Herder Council, your source for Star Wars opinion, conversation, and debate. Featuring your hosts, JT. Maybe that's who R2 saves. He pulled, R2 has, of all the myriad tools that he has in his chest, he's got a dent puller. (laughs) AJ. I'll take foods you can snort for 200, Alex. (laughs) Steve. Ray and Finn are sitting on Grandpa Han's lap. Let me tell you guys what happened. Of course, the Jedi's, it's all crap. This is the Nerf Herder Council. Welcome, everybody, to the initial episode of the Nerf Herder Council. I am your host, JT, at Dog Pound Jedi on Twitter, Dog Pound D-A-W-G, like the Browns. With me are my incredible co-hosts, my younger brother, AJ. You can find him on Twitter, at DrakeAdams579. And, of course, our best friend, Steve. You can find him at, what is it? It's JSteve1005. Okay, I got that. So what we're trying to do here is a different kind of Star Wars podcast. My brother and I came up with the concept for this at Celebration Anaheim this past April. And the thought was, we talk Star Wars so much amongst ourselves, and our friends always get involved, that we decided, well, why don't we just hit record and do a podcast? And there's so many podcasts out there that you know do a great job of focusing on the latest news and products and comic books and novels and things like that, that we wanted to do more of an opinion-based conversational podcast, where it's just basically what we do in our personal lives is just sitting around you know, having some beers or something and just bullshit about Star Wars. So that was the uh, impetus for starting the Nerf Herder Council. One thing I definitely think we should start with is explaining why we are such huge Star Wars nerds. So basically establish some cred right off the bat. We'll start with you, Steve. Why am I such a Star Wars nerd? Exactly. Um, what got you into Star Wars? Why are you so into it? God, that's that's a really tough question. That's hard to actually explain, honestly. Being born in 83, I was I, I didn't even get to see any of the original movies. You know, like when they came out, I was five months old. So everything came later in life with me. Like it was it was probably like when the big hoopla was when they actually released all the original trilogy on VHS was when I finally got to see everything. OK. And uh, and honestly, I can't even think of a particular point of where it got me hooked. It, it was, it was kind of just a 
a lump of the entire thing that like the fandom and the bad guys i i was always pissed that the empire never really won you know they 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 tried but so it's like a they, slow burn it is all, you, you were watching it so much all of a sudden you find yourself just watching it all the time yeah, and i'm a glutton too like you know the bad guys never win but you still root for them anyways <laughs> right I, I know for me uh, I I discovered Star Wars in 1980 when I was four years old, and I saw Episode Four, actually one and a half times. And what had happened was they had released, re-released Episode Four in theaters about a month or two before Empire Strikes Back came out in 1980. And my parents took me to see Episode Four, and my dad read the movie times incorrectly. So what happened was we walked in. And they let us go into the movie and said, just stick around for the other half of the movie. And we walked in during the, the trash compactor scene. So I watched the second half of the movie. We waited around about a half hour for the next show to start. We watched the first half. We get to the part of the, with the trash compactor again. And my dad stands up to leave. And I grabbed him and I said, no, 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 no. So I saw the movie one and a half times the first time. I was just absolutely hooked by it. And you know, a month or two later, Empire Strikes Back came out. And I saw that. And... I started buying all the toys and I got records and all sorts of little books and everything. And I just, I was completely, completely hooked. And then of course, you know, 1983 comes around and, and, or uh, excuse me, return of the Jedi comes out and I was freaking out to see that. And it was just a total love affair from then on. And the prequels really cemented it for me because between 1983 and 1999, with the exception of the release of, you know, the special, special editions there wasn't really a lot of star wars stuff out there and i still loved it but then once you know i was older and there was a new trilogy for me to see i just went head over heels for it and I, it was just it's been crazy for it ever since what about you aj well um my my love of star wars actually i think began more with the toys actually um i was about 11 months old 12 actually just exactly one year old when empire strikes back came out so if i saw that in the theater i don't remember it um you could probably inform me better than i could you were not there it was just me mom and dad okay uh so my first movie experience was in 1983 with return of the jedi which is why that's always going to be my sentimental favorite because i can actually remember you know going to dinner beforehand and talking about it afterward crying when yoda died all that kind of stuff but my really formative Star Wars memories were really with that Ewok Village playset that we, you know, had to have mom and dad buy us at least three times over because we kept on breaking pieces or losing the net or, you know, all the dumb stuff that, you know, kids our age would do with that sort of stuff. And between that and our friend Dan at the time, who was a huge Star Wars nerd and had like all the toys, all the ones that our parents couldn't afford. So playing in his basement was just like going to heaven. That's where my Star Wars started was with the toys themselves and then uh, really resumed with the special editions, actually. I, I found it funny, actually, because you love those original movies so much. But you're right. Like I thought we had seen all of those together in the theater. But you actually missed a couple of those premieres. And I didn't. Like So that was when I officially was like, yes, I'm on board with Star Wars from here on out. So I was all prepped and ready to go by the time the prequels came out. And from there it just never stopped because Star Wars never went away after that. So it was pretty easy if you're already got, you know, like one and a half feet in the door, then it's not hard to get, you know, pulled through the other halfway and just be, you know, stuck for life. So, right. Yeah. And after that though, I mean, once, once the movies came out, then, uh, the clone Wars series came out. I got into that long before you did. 
Oh yeah. Um, in fact, you're still catching up on that a little bit. Some of the best yeah. stuff is uh-huh. yet to be seen. You're you're only through what season four? See, I'm I'm halfway through season five. Okay, halfway through season five. So there's there's still well that leaves you about twenty episodes left to see. Um, and I think really some of the best episodes are yet to come. Um, so I I got huge into that show, and with that came the Lego sets, and then we went to Star Wars Celebration. And once you've gone to Celebration, you're hooked for life. Yeah. There, there is no way you can turn your back on the fandom after seeing that kind of outpouring. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. So, well, that's, that's our stories. Uh, as I said, I'm JT. Uh, that's AJ. We have Steve over there. And uh, we also do have here an Echo Base where we record. Uh, we do have a fourth mic that sometimes may have a guest on it. Sometimes it might not. And tonight, for our inaugural episode, we actually do have a special guest, uh, Lady Sith herself, Steve's wife, Gwen. Since she's the owner of the house, uh, we figured we'd have her jump on for this uh, very first episode on what we'll probably end up calling the Moof Milker mic. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured that was a great term out of, out of The Force Awakens. So uh, what's going on, Gwen? Oh, you know, living the dream. Another day, another dollar. Love that. So how did you first get into Star Wars? Okay, so I was born in 82, so there was no seeing the original trilogy in theaters for me. Right. Um, But my family is made of a bunch of nerds. Okay. So um, when my brother and I, I have a younger brother, got older, uh, we were both introduced to Star Wars by our parents, uh, which turned into both of us really enjoying the series. Um, Talking about that Ewok village, we had totally had that. Yeah. Um, we actually have a nice big bucket of Star Wars action figures from back then sitting in the basement here that my <laughs> right. mom gave me because she said that my brother didn't want them anymore. Um, I remember I had Star Wars Gigapets. We had all wow. kinds. Of, I still have them. I have a Yoda and I have a Rancor. <laughs> wow. So, the Rancor one? No kidding. Yeah, dude. You fed them the exotic dancers from Jabba's Palace. It was like <laughs> the coolest thing ever. It's one of the neatest toys. That's awesome. Um, So I've always been a fan. Um, And again, we just we like all kinds of nerdy stuff in my family. So we started with that. And then when the prequels came out. We all went to go see those as a family at the midnight showings because they used to just be at midnight. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've I've loved it when the prequels came out. I didn't care for all the CGI, but I loved it. I mean, we I got really into it and I got made fun of for it in high school a little bit, being a girl liking that kind of stuff. But it is right. what it is. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> right. Exactly. All right. Well, now that we've established where we all come from and where our credibility in this area of expertise comes from. Uh, we figured that we would start our very first episode with a very obvious topic. Uh, we are actually recording this on December 23rd. So 2015, yeah, 2015. So we are five days removed from the official release date for us. It was six because we went on Thursday, but the official release date of episode seven, the force awakens. And so we figured what better topic to go into for our first episode than our reaction to the force awakens and uh if you are listening to this and you have not seen the movie there are going to be spoilers in this i don't care if you haven't seen the movie yet it's been out for almost a week that's your problem (laughs) we are we are tired of the embargo that's been placed on spoilers online and whatnot on our facebook pages and watching what we say in public and everything so if you if you haven't seen the movie come back and listen after you've seen it because we'll tell you right off the top that han solo uh you know is in the movie a lot 
So something happens to him, and if you don't know what happens, then turn off your computer. So yeah, that explanation was long enough for them to delete the podcast if they haven't <laughs> exactly. seen the movie yet. See, see how I did that? And, and honestly, they probably deleted it by now, anyways. So. Well, that's what, that. You know, like I say, I, I knew what I was doing right there. I was, they're they're gonna tell me something, so they turned it off. That was my blank space. But if this is their first spoiler about the movie, then they are just I don't know how they could even do that. We try to remain spoiler-free on our social media accounts just out of respect to anyone that hasn't seen it yet. And we get friends commenting on our posts, giving away all the spoilers. So I'm sure that's the way it's happening all over the internet. At least we're not the ones giving it away. So as long as it's not our fault, then I think we're good to go. But I'm going to start. I I absolutely loved it. And I'm still completely upset that they killed Han Solo. I just saw it for the fourth time tonight. And I, I still, I still can't reconcile the fact that I'm now living in a world where Han Solo is dead. I can't. It's just, I can't, I can't handle it. That shot of the Falcon coming up at Starkiller Base with just Chewbacca in the cockpit just gets me every time. Each of the four times I've seen it, I just, it gets me all choked up. I get all teary eyed. I'm like, man, Han Solo's supposed to be in there, man. Why? No, Han Solo's supposed to be in there. Like, it just kills me. Yeah, I, I tell you, I had to see it multiple times because upon the first viewing, when that happened, even though you kind of knew it was coming, it was foreshadowed pretty well. Um, Whatever happened in the next five minutes of the movie was just kind of lost on me because I was still just sitting there like realizing that while while you do refer to being a kid in the theater, there is there are certain moments that just make you realize that you can't go home again. And living in a world where Han Solo now actually has a life that that ends at some point and you see it happen, you're like, nothing's going to be the same again. Now I know, watching 4, 5, and 6, exactly where this leads. That's part of it. That's that's partly what got me, too, is that it changes the way that I'm going to see the original trilogy now. It's not, you phrased it perfectly, it's not never-ending. Han Solo ends. And in my head, Han Solo was forever. And now he's not. So that it was just... it was a really tough way to look at it because I was trying to I couldn't just sit there and engulf myself into the Star Wars universe like I still sat there and was thinking about real life on top of it and I'm just like yeah well you knew Harrison wasn't gonna do any more of these <laughs> right? and, it, and 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 you tr- I really didn't want to but I I couldn't help my mind from going back and forth from real life from in universe to out of universe right. I'm just like. Yeah, it needed done, but like you said, like you try to go back in universe, and you're like, he's he's supposed to be there though. Yeah, you can't you can't have Star Wars without him in it? Like I know he wasn't in the prequels, but past New Hope, you're just like he's got to be there. So it's so it's gonna be so weird next no two years from now when Episode Eight comes out, and you're gonna see, you know, you're gonna see the Falcon, and you know you're gonna see Chew, and you're gonna see Ray come off it, and you're just gonna sit there and instantly go. No. Yeah, that's not your ship, right? Get the hell out of there. Where's Han Solo? <laughs> Put like, it back I, in there. I get it, but at the same point, it's like you you still don't belong there. What did, what did you think about that part? That was really tough. Um, I got a little choked up. I'm not going to lie. Um, but just like you guys were saying, they did foreshadow it really well. I, I really didn't think he was going to live past this movie. Um, Harrison Ford made it very clear he just really was done and didn't want to do any more. Um, I will say I'm happy they didn't kill off Chewie with him because that's what I <laughs> right. kind of thought was going to happen. <laughs> right. I thought they were oh. both going to go 
and I was going to cry in the theater if they both won at the same time. So right. I was I was at least happy that they didn't kill off Chewie at the same time, but that yeah. was that was tough. Yeah, I kind of thought they were going to go with a blaze of glory kind of thing, like mm-hmm. we are going to lose Chew Han, the Falcon, all at like one thing, you know, and it was like... The death of my childhood. I, I would have exactly. walked out. Just Han alone was the death of my childhood. I'm, I, have to, I have to be responsible. Wow, that's really poignant, actually. I, I think you're right on that one. It really was. I mean, like, we had talked about one of our dry runs of the podcast. It's like, it brings me back to when I'm seven years old. That was like my last tie to being that little kid was, well, I still love Han Solo this much. Well, now they killed him. I'm like, well, thanks a lot, George. So, or, or excuse yeah. me, JJ. It's like, I was going to say, like, people were saying about George Lucas with the prequels, like, George Lucas killed my childhood. And I'm thinking to myself, no. J.J. Abrams killed my childhood. <laughs> that was actually one of the nice things about the prequels, now that I think about it, because the original trilogy characters could just kind of live on forever because we didn't have to revisit them later in life at all or later in the timeline. So we still got new Star Wars with the prequels, but we didn't have to worry about messing up anything that was so dear to us about the originals. Yeah. And there's no mortality for any of the characters because they just go on forever in the universe. There's right. no ending point. And actually, the sad fact of it, and Steve and I were talking about this, is everyone's going to have an ending point coming up here in the next couple movies. You know, Leia's not going to live forever. Wookiees live pretty long, so if he doesn't get killed, Chewbacca should live for a while. But, you know, everybody that's aged is going to probably pipe the bullet in one of the upcoming movies. Well, I don't don't think that's necessarily the case. I I think that what they'll do is as they, you know, move the story in another direction, they will just not have a role in that next step if they go to some new area of the galaxy where the resistance doesn't exist or you know they can find ways that those legacy characters don't need to be part of the story moving forward without killing them off in the process they just retire like, yeah. in, re- like in real life <laughs> leia's like yeah, i'm retiring you know she's like I'm, I'm i'm turning 65 i'm out of here well, okay like leia for example why does she even have to die she she's back at the base being a general for now, though, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the next couple movies? She could go out, too. I mean, you just don't know what's going to happen. No, so. her her job is to sit there at the damn base <laughs> and hope to God that some little bastard in a ship can blow up the planet before she gets shot. That's what she does. She sits there and listens to C-3PO count down the minutes of her life and then finds out, oh, it's all good. Never mind. <laughs> or, or she or or like you know people say well you never know when you're gonna walk out the door and get hit by a bus whatever the star wars equivalent of a bus is <laughs> maybe she just walks out the door and gets hit by one of those they're, they're going out on a bombing run and one of the carts that's towing one of the x-wings in just plows her down on the runway <laughs> right all anticlimactic <laughs> it's like one of the worst deaths ever well i think she's pretty well safe because except for episode four when they had the errol flynn moment um, she's never been near a chasm. And as long as you stay away from <laughs> chasms true. in Star Wars, you're pretty safe. That's true. Good point. That's true. The one thing that I noticed when I was watching the movie today that I thought was really cool, I actually noticed it the first time, but I didn't really think about it until... Why they didn't have handrails on that damn thing that Han got killed on? <laughs> they never, who builds that? They never have handrails. Who, who built that They didn't have handrails on the, on the Death Star. Who built that either thing on the Death Star with those two guys working right there behind the laser? They didn't even have safety glass? I know they pointed it out in the Family Guy Dude, Star Wars, but OSHA, it is so true. OSHA would be all over these oh, guys. Oh, God, yeah. They pointed it out in the Family Guy Star Wars, so it's obvious to say. But in Episode Seven, they did the same damn thing. After after Family Guy was like pointing out like oh they don't have handrails, they they didn't put handrails on it in Episode Seven. 
what the hell are they trying to do? Yeah, like again, in universe, out of universe, like you saw Han walking on that thing, and we all kind of knew, like, yeah, this is Harrison's exit right here. Like yeah. we knew it was happening at mm-hmm. that point, but at the same time, you still looked at that and you're like, who built? that walkway in the middle of this thing with no railing why what the hell is the point of the walkway to begin with and it's hold it's held up by what it's so long it's like Like, and there's no droop buckle in the middle there's no droop in the center of it or anything like it's who builds these things and for what reason (laughs) these things make no sense maybe they're just maybe the empire or the first order is just trying to cull the herd anybody with poor sense of balance has to go maybe that's what it is but no i was i was watching the scene and i think one thing they did that's really cool and and maybe it's a little obvious but i just thought that it was a really cool way of handling it was even even when han walks out there and they're talking and he grabs the lightsaber and kylo's got you know his hand on the lightsaber even though you're pretty sure you know what's coming there's still that moment when they're looking at each other where you're like oh man is are they really gonna do this or what's gonna happen and then all of a sudden they show Ray turn towards the sun and the sun goes dark. And then it goes back to Kylo and Han and the light changes to all red. And then the music stops. And that you have that two seconds right there. You're like, he's dead. Yeah. Like they, it was such a cool way. It was all of a sudden like there was light and then there was nothing but dark. And I, I just thought that was, and it may be some, it may be kind of obvious to most people, but I just thought it was a really cool way to do it because it created that little bit of doubt. And then they had that quick moment where it changed. And you knew you're like, oh man! So you ha- they they gave you that second of anticipation, knowing you're about to lose Han Solo. The two shots that did it for me was, you see their hands, and when Kylo first hands over the saber, his hands are open palmed, like he's handing it, you know, away so Han can take a hold of it. And then you're right, as soon as that as soon as that sunlight dies, they go back to the hands again, and Kylo's hands are closed over it, and you're like, yep, yeah, I know what's coming in, yep. Yeah. It was kind of like that perfect timing of he he was going to hold on to the lightsaber but as soon as that sun went away and that darkness took over that there was no light left in him. Had Han walked out onto that bridge like two seconds earlier, he might not have been dead kind of thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what if he did, too? He walks out there like three seconds earlier and Ray's about to reach for Kylo Ren. All of a sudden, everything turns red and there's no sunlight. And he's like. It's oh, too the, late because oh, Han is like 10 steps away from yeah. him with the lightsaber in his hand. <laughs> yeah. he's, like, he's like, oh, the hell with this. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, do you, I was at, at, that point, at that point, Kylo could have ran behind him and shoved him off the damn walkway with no rails on it. <laughs> yeah. So he still was a dead man. <laughs> what if that was how he got killed? Instead of, <laughs> instead of the dramatic goring with a lightsaber, he's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll listen to you, Dad. He's like, all right, follow me. And Han goes to walk away and he just like, not even just pushes him. But remember when you'd walk behind somebody and you'd kick their foot? So it would go into their other foot, like Han's trip shoe was untied, and Kylo <laughs> right. steps on the shoelace. Yeah, right. He just, just just some total like Three Stooges like death for Han Solo. Everybody in the theater that was we would well, we wanted to add some humor to the film, so they did that. They had like a you know yakety sax is playing while Han's falling down in the chasm and stuff. Everyone in the theater's like, oh no, he died, and you're crazy turn of events while he's falling down he hits you with a jar jar line up misa falling that'd be awful but no yeah I, I really thought that they handled it really really well and especially for a moment that they knew was just going to absolutely devastate most of the fan base whether or not you knew it was coming because a lot of my friends have told me that they expected it and 
oh, well, you knew it was going to happen. Well, that doesn't mean you, you, you're you okay with it or you want it to happen. Yeah, uh, Han dying in this movie was a lot like Anakin becoming Vader in Episode 3. No matter how many times you watch that, you're still at least on a slight razor's edge going like, no, don't do it, man. No, don't do it, man. Ugh. Like, you expect the same movie's going to turn out differently on the 327th viewing for some reason. Same with this. I, I've only seen it twice now. I'm sorry. I haven't seen it four oh, times like right. you. Right. But even that second time, it was coming up, and I knew it was coming, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't, don't, don't. Ah. I, th- I think that speaks to the strength of the storytelling. And, and your point about episode three is, is very good because um, that being my favorite movie, it I always have that feeling when – you know he he gives himself to the dark side the whole time it's happening you're i i I still to this day find myself going oh man come on no like you got to stay good like i'm I'm invested in it to this day after seeing it so many times and it it was the same thing with watching the movie today for the fourth time it's like the story is so good that I, i forget that it's coming and then all of a sudden they go in down that that hallway out into that huge chasm area. And I go, Oh man, I hey, forgot about this. Please don't walk out on that. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> enjoying the whole thing. And then as they're planting the bombs inside there, you're just like, Oh yeah, we're like five minutes away from this. Yeah. Mm. It's, it kills me. And it, and I know exactly what's coming. And I just, every bit of me is like, man, I want to be that obnoxious guy in the theater. Oh, don't go out there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, it, I, I think it really speaks to the power of the storytelling that, you know, you you can feel that way, even when you know it's coming. And you know, I and I think I think one thing that I will say about this movie that you know I was actually a little disappointed at first because I do think it borrowed way too heavily from the episode four storyline and one of the major EU storylines. But I think that the whole thing narratively is so strong that it they did a really really good job. Because I thought it would be really difficult to create a movie like this, a Star Wars movie, without George Lucas. I mean, that's his thing. I mean, basically, it could have easily been one of the EU novels, which a lot of people didn't read, because they just don't like it because it wasn't a George Lucas story. It didn't feel like a George Lucas story. It didn't read like a George Lucas story. And that could have easily been the case with this, but I thought it was pretty close. You know, we actually got a – I had a comment on my Facebook page today from a, a guy at the gym who I'm finding out a lot of people that do CrossFit are Star Wars nerds, by the way, which is awesome. I love that. Uh, but anyway, uh, he went off on his little tangent because he's a big EU fan. And they're actually mad right now. Like, we're mad because they borrowed from the EU for this storyline. The EU folks are mad because they didn't. Like, they're still so invested in those EU stories. The fact that they've now officially moved forward and wiped them out, they, they actually find it kind of like a slap in the face that anything that closely resembles anything from the eu was used is is like disrespect to the stories that came before They're like well if it was good enough to put in this movie why don't you just make it official to begin with the eu got flushed down the toilet in 2014 it, it they have to live with it honestly and, and and i saw his comments on there and i understand as an eu fan what he was complaining about but at this point we talked about it before disney JJ, Lucas, whoever is working on all these things can do whatever they want now. It, there's there's no there's no straight line that they have to follow with this story. So they can pull from any video game, any EU story, any it, anything they want at this point and make it canon and we all deal with it. It's it it is what it is now. It's what they're doing with it. So 
if that's how the EU fans can plant their flag by going, oh, that, that was a stolen EU line. You know, if that's what you got, you know, plant your flag in it and good for you. But that's what it is now. I think it's kind of a good thing, though, because now you don't know where it's going and it leads to debating and coming up with different ideas on where it could go, what angle it could go at. Nothing's worse than they take a book series, they make it a movie, and you know everything that's going to happen. I mean, there's no surprise. You go to see it because you're a fan, but there's no surprise, there's no shock, there's no awe. So I actually think it's kind of a good thing that there's nothing specific they're going by because now when you go to the theaters, unless a bunch of crazy spoilers made it out on the internet before it's, you know, time, it's all new to you and it's all fresh and you're just like a kid again. You're like, oh my gosh. What is going on? I think it's a great thing personally. Yeah, and that's what's so fun about living in a post-Force Awakens world now is we've got tons of internet articles going. Uh, there's one I just read the other day. It said 77 questions about the Force Awakens. And then there's you know the one we posted on Facebook today where it's you know, crazy spoilerish theory about Kylo Ren. and like So we're not only asking questions about what we've already seen, but we're also asking questions about what does that mean for future projects. It's so much fun because you can look forward or backward and have just endless conversation topics. Exactly. We've, we've had debate over the years, but we are six days for us, five days away or uh, removed from this movie coming out for most people. And I've probably seen 50 different fan theories of where seven ends, where this could lead to eight. And we've never had that before. The original trilogy, yeah, but I wasn't alive for it. You were... A couple of years old, you weren't fan. You weren't fanficking anything with yeah, people right. at, at two years old about where they could go with episode six. So it's we have an infinite possibility of what to talk about, and and that's the great thing. Now, granted, like I said, some people are going to plant their flag in EU stories, and people are going to whine and they're going to complain that this got stolen from it, Ben. Ben was not their son, you know. They had jason and uh, jason and jana jana yeah and it's like wasn't there a third one too yeah there yeah, was anakin was the oldest the oldest that's right and then they well, had the twins well see that's my problem with this is that these eu people i mean i agree with what you guys are saying but my issue with the story is that it does borrow from the eu as soon as he said calls him ben i'm like okay well that's but it and, wasn't completely stolen from the eu yeah but they, it's they close enough and i mean I'm not the only one that immediately got that. Everybody did. I mean, we all talked about it after the movie that the first thing was it was like it was like that that that, that EU storyline combined with the New Hope. And now as a result, I'm already guessing what's going to happen in episode 8 because it's already looking like it's going down the Empire Strikes Back path. And because they borrowed so heavily from episode 4 in this one, I'm really scared that they're going to borrow from episode five for the next one. You've got, you know, Luke is going to train Ray, obviously. Mm -hmm. And you had that with Yoda and Luke, you know, that's going to have the I'm your father moment somewhere, which you had with Vader and Luke. And this is probably going to be Luke Skywalker and Ray. And so it's already going down a familiar path because it was kind of obvious to me. I mean, again, as soon as they said, oh, Ben. And then Ray turns out to be a force user. I'm going, okay, well, that's that's a direct ripoff of the EU storyline. So immediately my mind... Well, it's went, not a direct ripoff. It's it's stolen it from is. it. But they, the fact that there's no Anakin, there's no twins, you know, like, yeah, they stole the fact that Leia and Han had a kid. Chances are better or not that was going to happen regardless. Yeah, but the other, the other part of the storyline was that it was twins and there's a good one and a bad one. 
and the and the bad one kills either Luke or Han. I forget. And so, but as of now, we no, only no, no, think no. that they only have one kid as far as canon goes right now. Right. Yeah, but I mean, I get it that it's canon, but so many of the fans know that that exists that you 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 almost can't not draw that parallel. Well, let's look at let's look at the basic story components though, and see how much wiggle room there really is. I mean, okay, so the EU went with there are kids involved, so yeah. I mean, the characters get older, and they have children. That's pretty natural, so I don't think that's too much of a reach right there to exactly. use that idea again. Okay. Um, Anakin turns evil and becomes Darth Vader, so the precedent of a Skywalker or a member of the Skywalker family turning from light to dark and then back again has already been established. So having one of their kids fall to the dark side, it really not that much of a stretch either. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these, these basic things, they kind of needed to happen because otherwise you're going to tell a story where what all those Skywalker kids turn out good. And then you've got to invent this other new evil that has no ties to them. And, and family has been at the core of the entire saga to, mm-hmm. to date. So you've got to get that in there. But doesn't that seem repetitive to you that you've seen all those plot points and now they're kind of rehashing it? It looks like. But isn't that true of life in general is that, you know, it tends to repeat down through the generations the same way, you you know, we see features yeah, of ourselves and our parents. And, you know, I couldn't help but think when I was watching it, um, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it, too. And that's actually one of the main points of the whole storyline is that the Empire did such a good job of squashing all knowledge of what came before in the history of the Republic itself. <laughs> That if they're leading down the same path to do all that stuff again, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I, I, ju- I just think for me, one of the things that I loved about the prequel so much was that even though we knew he was going to turn into Darth Vader, we didn't know how. So to me, it was like a brand new, fresh storyline. I have no idea what's going to happen. And now having seen episode seven, it didn't feel like a completely new story to me. I'm like, well, I've seen this before in certain areas. And I think I was... you know. You know, and don't get me wrong, I love the movie, so I don't want it to come across as me giving a bad review. I, I, I completely loved it. And I like it more and more the more I see it. But I just, to me, I was a little bit disappointed because it was something that I had seen already from the Star Wars universe, and I was hoping for something completely different and not borrowing from what had come before. Well, at the same time, this is the very first movie, and if they did something completely new and it was horrible... Disney would have just flushed all that money down the toilet because who would have really wanted to go see the next one if the first one sucked a big one? Let's and, be honest. And I mean, I would have gone to see it just because I want to see what's going to happen and I enjoy Star Wars as a whole. But if that first movie was bad, dude, they just lost so much money. So Your expectations some- for eight would have been in the toilet before you even yeah, bought tickets exactly. for it. See, that's funny you mentioned that because that was actually – that's exactly the basis – of my opinion, I've been telling everybody that I thought they didn't take any chances with the story. They played it too safe, I guess is what I'm saying. So yeah. you're, 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 you're completely correct. I just think I would have liked to see them take a little bit more chances besides just, okay, we're going to kill Han Solo. I think they're going to go that route with the next movie. I think this one... I hope so. Th- this one was a play it safe, get everybody hooked again, set up for a whole new generation of kids to like star wars like they, they were fishing with seven uh, they were yeah. grabbing everybody yeah. to set you up for eight yeah. nine and anything past that and but- i'll tell you what when we 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 took uh our our 10 year old madison she likes chewbacca but she's not huge into the star wars world aside from chewy chewy's your guy 
And, you know, I made a we made a joke about going to see Star Wars. And she goes, well, if I don't go see Star Wars, dad's going to be mad at me. And we're like, well, no, if you don't want to see Star Wars with us, you don't have to. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll go see it on our own. So we gave her the choice. We said, hey, do you want to do a movie day and go see Star Wars with us? Or, or do you want to stay home and watch movies? What do you want to do? And she goes, yeah, you know what? Let's go see Star Wars. And she loved it. She thought it was so cool. She thought BB-8 was great. She loved that Chewbacca was in it. I wish I could have taken a picture of her face when the hunk of junk turned out to be the Millennium Falcon. Yep. She just lit up like, oh my gosh, because she recognized it. I mean, she thought it was awesome. It, it was great it. being the second time for us because we knew these things were coming up. So every time one of the every when Han and Chu showed up, when the Falcon showed up, I was able to look down. And, and kind of get her, a reaction. It, yeah. When she noticed the Falcon, she, like Gwen said, it was ear to ear smile. And she yeah. was looking at both of us like, do you know what that is? I know what that is. Like, <laughs> right. And then, then when they were on the thing, the ship and, you know, they're like, oh, it's the first order coming. And that door opens and Han and Chewie walked in. Same thing. Yeah. Like she lost her mind seeing that happen on the screen. It, it was great. I had the same thing because I, I went to uh, my third viewing was last friday night and i went with my best friend and his son who's my nephew and you know he's you know 10 years old like madison and i got to watch that same thing too and it was you know and i i couldn't help but think i'm like did i have that look on my face and you know 1980 1980 and 83 and 99 and 02 and 05 like you had that look on your face thursday night well exactly. yeah <laughs> well i mean and, you know and that's that's another thing that i that i loved how they did it, and it's, it, I'm glad you mentioned it, you guys, is that the way they brought the Millennium Falcon back into it and Han and Chewie, yeah, let's just go drive the piece of garbage or fly the piece of garbage or whatever, and the Falcon came on the screen. I just, I couldn't believe how cool of a way it was to bring it back in. Oh, dude, I died laughing. I thought yeah. it was great. She's like, that's a hunk of junk. We can't take that. Oh, uh-huh. no, hunk of junk looks great. Let's go. I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, right? She didn't know it was the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And Well, yeah, because she said it was 14 parsecs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very true. It was, it was just so cool. It just felt like putting on that favorite pair of tennis shoes, man. It was like you're seeing all this new stuff, and it's like when you go to the store and you get like a new pair of jeans and, and a new shirt, and you put it on, you're like, okay, this is cool, and then you just put on that beat-up pair of tennis shoes that you love, and you're like, all right, this this is where I'm comfortable. And, and they, they brought it back so cool, but then they did such new stuff with it too. It was like they just expanded on how badass the Millennium Falcon was. I mean, when yeah. she takes off and it digs into the ground, but then it's like – you know, she's kind of getting the hang of flying it. And you're getting all these different angles. And I was like, oh, my God, I about lost my mind. And cinematically, the whole thing was absolutely beautiful. Like when when they're leaving the planet, when a uh, when a uh, uh, Kylo uh, command ship is leaving with all the uh, the TIE fighters and stuff and you see him fly away and you get that that heat trail. Yeah, of the exhaust uh-huh. it was showing. And you're like, we never got that in any of these Star Wars. Yeah. You just showed realism of these things having an, a, an exhaust blow off on the back of these ships and stuff. And right. The little minute details that JJ, that Lucas arts, Disney, whoever was in charge, of all that stuff, like the fine details that they put into this thing storyline or not visually, the, the movie was astounding just top to bottom. There's yeah. no bad shot yeah. in that movie whatsoever. 
and, and and for me, because of those visuals and because of the way that they, like I say, when they brought back the Falcon and Han Solo, I've been telling you guys for weeks, everyone asked me, well, what are you most excited to see? And I said, I want to see Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon. Like they, if they just had Han Solo fr- flying around kicking ass the whole time for two and a half hours, that would have been a successful Star Wars movie for me. <laughs> and and when they brought it back and I'm seeing the Falcon doing all this crazy stuff and then Han Solo was so Han Solo. I was, I mean, that was, I mean, I, the whole time I'm just sitting there thinking, I got my money's worth. Just on this first show, I got my money's worth because I'm seeing stuff that I've never seen. And it just, it so reminded me of when I was a kid and just how enthralled I was by Han Solo and the Falcon. It was, there was nothing in my life any cooler than that besides Eddie Van Halen's Frankenstrat guitar. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it was the be all end all of cool to me was the Millennium Falcon and Han Solo. And to bring it back that way, it, I mean, it was, it was brilliant to me. It was brilliant because you can easily, just having it on screen is, is more than enough, especially for a fan like me. But to bring it back in such an original, fresh way was just fascinating to me. I loved it. It was phenomenal. Speaking well, of that, knowing that you wanted Han and the Falcon in it, how did you feel that after all the trailers and everything of seeing the Falcon and all that, that the one cinematic, the one spot of that where the Falcon was really doing damage, was really flying and getting crazy, how did you feel that Ray was the one behind the wheel of it instead of Han? It didn't bother me. I actually thought that was really cool because it was it was something different. And it was still the Millennium Falcon. And in my mind, I'm going, yeah, the Millennium Falcon can do that. Like it was, <laughs> you know, no matter who's flying it. But it was just it, – it really didn't bother me. And I thought it was really cool because it would have been so easy to have it just be, oh, well, here comes Han Solo on the Millennium Falcon and he's just – you know, like no time had passed between the end of Return of the Jedi and the beginning of The Force Awakens, and that's not what they did. And I see that that comes back to my taking chances with the story. I, you know, the beginning it was kind of going in a different direction, and I loved it. And this was part of it. Like, okay, that's actually Ray flying the Falcon. Like, how cool is that? Like, she's trying to get the hang of it, but survive. And mm-hmm. I, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I think the way they worked in all the old story elements, like the Falcon, Chewbacca, all the legendary characters, like that. I, it's got to be so exciting for any kids watching it now because, I mean, they may already be into Star Wars and the original trilogy, but it, it wasn't their Star Wars because it came out so long before they were around. Now you see those original characters in a brand new movie and you, you get to see all that and that that's your Star Wars then. So it, it ties everything back in. So now I would guess that now that like, you know, Maddie, for example has seen Chewbacca and Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon kicking ass in a fresh, new, modern movie, it makes them... Now they can go back and look at episodes 4, 5, and 6 and feel a connection that they didn't have before because now those characters live in a movie that is theirs. Exactly. That's that's why I wasn't too upset with the, the rehash of the story. This is episode 7 and the ones coming out, 8, 9, anything further than that, they're not made for us we we had ours with the originals and the prequel trilogy these new movies are geared towards the 10 year olds 12 14 year olds that way when episode 8 comes out they're blowing their own money on this stuff like so yeah the the rehash of the story was to grab this new generation and introduce these new characters and give the the new generation their star wars so like you said, Madison can look back on it and she can see 
Han, Chewie, Luke, and now she can watch the original trilogy and, and go, oh, I know them from seven now. Yeah. You know, and she can kind of go back in time and enjoy it. So that's why I didn't have that much of a problem with the rehash because I knew that the new regime of Disney w- partnered with Lucas. I was like, you know, they're not making these movies for us right. essentially anymore. They're 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 fishing for the younger people. So when we're gone, they still have those guys to make their money yeah. off of. And and you know, there's going to be a point in time where our where Madison hits forty years old, and they're probably on episode. 15 or something like that you know right. that that she's gonna be all pissed off like uh, you can't do that to ray yeah Finn. right who, who the hell is this over here and it, it's gonna be the same thing of like well they're not making that for you anymore yeah. it's for the next generation to continue this story you yeah know, the 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 what, what are they called the operatic you know, space, whatever the hell. Space like, opera? Yeah, like yeah. whatever they're calling it for. And it's like they, they do have to give the cutoffs. And, and sadly, it's just it's not our Star Wars anymore. We have our four, five, six to hang on to. And and honestly, our age group, we're supposed to be hanging on to the prequel trilogy. I know you love the prequels, but. Yeah, it, I do. That, that's supposed to be what we're supposed to be hanging on to. The four, five, right. and six is for our parents. One, two, and three was for us, and now seven, eight, nine is for our kids. And well, actually, our age group is kind of stuck in the middle because I mean, the oldest of us is thirty-nine years old, which means and you've got that memory of of just barely catching one of the last original theatrical releases of the first movie as a re-release before Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, so you were four years old, three three years old, whatever, when it came out. Um, when when you started going and seeing Star Wars. The prequels, really, that's not for us because, let's see, 99, I would have been uh, 20 when those came out. I so th- I'm, I'm already outside of the demographic. They had already hooked me. If I hadn't been hooked yet, I wouldn't have been by those because I was already too old. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to I go back to something that you said, Steve, because I think in talking about how brilliant the storytelling was in this movie, you brought up a really interesting point about these being movies not for us being for kids. And we have our four, five, and six. I think that makes the ending with Luke Skywalker absolutely brilliant. Because when you think about it to us, because we have four, five, and six, Luke Skywalker is a legend in our mind because we saw his whole journey. We know how he started out as the farm boy and then he became you know, a Jedi and he killed the Emperor. So he's a legend. Well, in this movie, for kids that are just seeing it for the first time, he's already a legend. And that it to make that correlation is so cool. Kids were looking at Luke the same way Ray and Finn were in the movie. They, exactly the same exactly. way they looked up to Han. They were like, "No, you are the Han Solo." Like, yeah, they, that's how the kids, yeah, now can look at Seven and go, "That's that's the same take they can have yeah. on these characters." Yes, how, how cinematically, that? cinematically, that's exactly the mirroring that I was hoping for. You know, in when Episode Seven, uh, sorry, Episode Four came out in 1977. Luke was the audience's window into the world where we were reacting to everything the same way he was because there's all this crazy stuff that he never knew existed. You know, you've taken your first step into a larger world. And and Ray is that for the new generation now where, you know, when, when he meets Obi-Wan and he hears about the Clone Wars and all these things, you know, to Luke, this is just blowing his mind. And then and, – and as an audience member because you're completely uninformed because there was nothing to know about Star Wars before that movie, same thing. And now with Ray, you know, anyone going into Star Wars now, 
she's just getting that perspective and she's seeing Luke Skywalker as an established legend the same way that Maddie and, and any other kids now would have heard stories of Luke but not really seen him at all because they would have known the prequels, the Clone Wars series, Rebels, you know, nothing with Luke Skywalker in it until this movie. Because there's going to be so there's so many people that were jumping on the the coattails of the Disney uh, mass media blitz of getting this movie out the past couple months. So all this money it's made, there's more than enough people that have probably not seen one of the other six movies that went to go watch this because of the hype behind it and the the push down our throats and everything. So all those people that get to see Han. Chewbacca, Leia, Luke for the first time, like legitimate first time, you know, they can go back and see, just like you said, you get to go back and watch Luke come from, you know, the 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 moisture farming and, and turn into what he turned into. And then they can, like you said, just get that correlation of, wow, that was the guy on the top of the mountain that everybody in the world wanted this guy. You know, and, and he's just this little dumpy moisture farmer from Tatooine. You know, why is he such a big deal? You know, now you could see all of it come in at one time. That is so true. Remember, we were at Target and there was a father buying Star Wars on Blu-ray, the entire saga. And he was asking this old lady who was a cashier, what order do we watch the movies in? And Steve and I are in line and I say, and she goes, well, I don't really know. I don't, I don't. I don't watch that kind of stuff. And I said, there's only one way to watch them. And you have to watch four, five, and six, and then one, two, and three. That's the only order to watch them in. And he goes, you've got a really good point. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, trust me. That's how we watched them with our kid. And when your child makes the connection that the entire story is about Anakin becoming Darth Vader, the look on their face is priceless. I will never forget the look on Madison's face when Anakin became Vader. And she goes, the whole movie is about Anakin. Oh my gosh. And it just saw the light bulbs go off and I was like, that's my girl. Yeah. <laughs> like that's my girl. And that's that's the kind that's the kind of storytelling that I really think they did a fantastic job achieving with with The Force Awakens because you know, you you have this legacy to live up to and it's almost impossible. I mean, the one thing I did I did say about this movie was as you bash your mic with your water bottle. Um <laughs> The one thing I did say about this movie was that I, I went into it kind of with an open mind in one respect in that I looked at it almost like episode one where these other movies have been built up to such legendary status in our minds that there's no way that this can live up to what it was. So I was coming at it from a fresh perspective. And I thought that as a result, it would be really hard to live up to how good the stories were, especially because with six movies now, when you if you if you want to say, well, I would have done it differently – I've tried to sit there and think, what would I have done differently? It's really hard to come up with a new Jedi Sith kind of story. You would have kept Han alive. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, there's that. <laughs> but I thought that they handled the story almost perfectly. And it was – you could have done it heavy-handed and they didn't. You, you could have borrowed completely from what was already there and they didn't, even though it was a little more than I would have liked. And so I think they, they did an absolutely fantastic job. Of go of achieving what they wanted, which was the feel of the original trilogy and that storytelling, and and actually the storytelling of all the movies, even if you don't like the prequels, it's a cool story. Um, Star Wars is this story that sucks you in, and they completely achieved it, which I th I think is a monumental 
achievement when you, when you don't have George Lucas involved, the guy that made it to to recreate what he did so accurately is really really impressive to me. And like yeah. we said, we don't even know until eight nine come out. Like seven could go down as one of I, I don't want to say one of the worst, but it could go down as the worst of the new trilogy. You know, yeah. like we said, this is the one that was supposed to fish and grab us all and episode eight and nine are the ones that are really gonna hammer it home with this story so it's yeah there's some rehash going on with seven but like we said it it almost needed to be done to get everybody hooked to want to be involved with eight and nine and and we've talked about before how many movies disney has now i mean this thing can be dragged out to what episode 12 if they want it i i heard i heard it was supposed to be two new trilogies when they when the sale was made so yeah i mean this yeah seven could simply be the hook for a potential six movies right and and for better or worse now that disney is in charge instead of george lucas the ultimate independent filmmaker these movies will keep coming out as long as the box office receipts dictate it instead Mm -hmm. of george lucas who put out star wars whenever he thought he had a good story to tell um, one thing I wanted to bring up, uh, because you're here, Gwen, and I, I think this is something that I think a lot of people are talking about. And you, before we started recording, you had mentioned that you're all about the female characters in Star Wars because there just weren't a lot of them. And I think one thing that a lot of people are talking about, and rightfully so, is just how incredible Daisy Ridley is and how strong the character of Rey really was in the movie. And I know me, when I saw that, she, when I found out she was going to be the focal point of the movie, I wondered. I was like, can you know, can a female character carry a saga like this? Is it, or is it going to seem more like Padme or Princess Leia, where she's strong, but you you gravitate more towards Luke and Han? You know, I mean, I was I was wondering. I wasn't nervous about it, but I was wondering if it could be pulled off. And my opinion is, I thought she was awesome. Oh, she was fantastic. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I came into seeing the movie expecting to like Kylo Ren. And I really thought uh, Captain Phasma was going to be my favorite character. I love the actress, uh, Gwendolyn, that plays her. And I love that we share the same name. There aren't enough Gwens in the world. Um, (laughs) But she's she's awesome in Game of Thrones. She is totally amazing for her character. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she is going to be so awesome. She's the first big villain female in the Star Wars movie universe. Because, I mean, they've got female villains in the cartoons, but... They really haven't done that in, you know, the movies. So I was really excited for that. And I was blown away by Ray. This is like the first time I've been watching Star Wars. And I'm like, man, I'm really into this female Jedi character. She is amazing. She is awesome. She's she doesn't have the whininess that you got from like Luke. Um, you know, obviously the Skywalker genes passed that along to Ben. Um because right. he's he's <laughs> definitely whiny um you know yeah he but, didn't get that from the solo side no, of the family. Yeah, no not no. at all not in the least but no ray was amazing i was blown away by the acting i was blown away by the character she still had her moment of oh my god i don't want anything to do with this i don't this is not me but it wasn't a whiny crying moment like it wasn't a girly moment that sounds so bad to say but it wasn't it was Nope, I'm not dealing with this. And then she's like, all right, well, this is life. I have to deal with it. And she sucks it up and realizes this is the way it's supposed to be. And I thought it was amazing. It was fantastic. I, like I say, never thought, never thought I would like 
a good guy that was female that much. And she's totally my favorite character in the movie. I was blown. Yeah. Away. I, I, I thought, I thought the character was done so well because she, like you said, there's not that, you know, quote unquote girly moment. Even, even when she gets emotional, it's not, you know, stuff that would, you would consider to be a female stereotype. Like I'm on my period. It's a bad day. You know, <laughs> exactly. anything stupid like that. It was, you know, she, she was strong. And confident, but not to the point of being, you know, pardon the term, but butch. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, that female construction worker type of mentality. It was she was just a strong character, and it could have been again. It's one of those things that that could have been done in a different way, and the character would not have been as strong. But I, the acting was fantastic, and just the the the, the range of emotions that she showed without getting into being too weak. To where it would have, you wouldn't have believed that she could have that strength at other times. I thought was awesome, and that that defining moment where we talked about the other day when they were in the woods, and and granted, Williams helped it a lot with the score when Kylo's trying to get Luke's saber, and he's overpowered by Ray, and that thing flies past Kylo and snaps into her hand, and she she acted that thing so perfectly of that holy crap, like, this thing, like, it worked. Like, it came to me instead of, and, and then the music and the cracking that lightsaber when she finally had that I'm I'm the crap moment right yeah. now. Like, that was that moment of she's like, I'm a big deal right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> if, if I remember it, I think that actually was the moment where they had that awesome piece of music, that, that standard John Williams, I'm trying to remember what part in episode four, but it's just that lone, I think it's a trumpet, like, the bam, I think I think that was when they hit that when you know she got the mm-hmm. lightsaber. Before you guys came over, I was trying to find it. I was trying to find that because so, I was like, man, that both times I got to watch the movie, I like, right at that moment, it was so perfect. Like it, yeah. it literally gave me chills on that. I'm like, you, you can't get better than that shot with that score yeah, in the background. It was perfect. Yeah, that's actually called the Force theme. Is it that's was the title, it that one? I, the I was title to... of the song okay. or track, whatever, and uh, it's played on a French horn. Actually, is it a French horn? Yeah, it's a little bit lower in the sure. register and just has a, a certain like more softness to it. So it's okay. it's it's got a better sound than the trumpet. Not to get too into the musical side of things, but but yeah. Um, but the way that that actually, music came down and then came right back up as that thing hit her hands, like that is is perfect. That score, the way they set it, and. I I don't know if it was written for the scene or if the scene was written for the music. Either way, they they hammered it as as how it came is how it was portrayed on the screen. Yeah, you know the best thing I can say about the soundtrack, having uh, purchased it and listened to it now, um, it's standard John Williams fare, and I mean that in the best sense of the word as a compliment. I mean I'm listening through the tracks, and I don't know the movie well enough to be able to picture the scenes in my head as the music goes by, like the previous six movies. But there are certain scenes already that I recognize the musical cues, and when I when I hear the music, I see the scene, and when I see the scene, I hear the music now. Like I just, you know, I I know when the March of the Resistance comes on. Uh, the Force theme obviously is unmistakable. Um, even even Ray's theme is I think going to go down as just a seminal musical totally. moment of the saga. Everybody's saying that that is like the track. Everybody loves ray's theme right now on that thing that's the one thing i haven't done yet i I didn't pay too much attention to the soundtrack um 
I'm still so into the movie. I, I tried listening a little bit, but then I find myself not because li- I'm still just I get just lost in the movie. The only thing I will say is that the opening theme doesn't hit nearly as hard as the other six movies. Each of the four times that I've watched it, I've noticed it seems like it comes in soft instead of like it's it's like and I'm like ooh that you know it's like the first three or four seconds of the music. It doesn't hit as hard as normal. I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird. It's like that on the soundtrack, too. It, it just must be the, the way the new recording was directed. Yeah, it must be. Composed. But, uh, yeah. Conducted, sorry. Conducted, there we go. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, back back to the point about Ray. I, I just, you know, it's like you asked me before, like, was I okay with Ray flying the Falcon? And even that early in the movie, I, I kind of already understood that she was strong enough and had skills enough to to pull something like that off. So it wasn't like, oh, how is this how is this scavenger all of a sudden just flying the Millennium Falcon? And I, I I never found myself questioning that. I was like, okay, she seems like she can handle herself. You know, she's a you know, she's a junk dealer or whatever and you know, she's seen all these parts. Maybe she knows spaceships, whatever. I, I never found myself questioning that. Like how how is she just flying this thing? Because I, I, I had already bought into the character in the first half hour of the movie. Yeah, and also they did a nice job of showing that a nine-year-old can figure out how to do this stuff in episode one. So you figure with double the age, she's going to be twice <laughs> as good, right? Too bad they didn't have pod racing, huh? Yeah, exactly. No, the, the I think what was really great about the way character was the character was written was that she, I mean, it never came off like you said. It didn't come off like a a gender neutral character or someone who was too tough to be a girl. They still gave her enough softness around the edges with her, you know, her instant compassion for BB eight and helping him out to at least having an interest in trying to do good by other people. And she was just trying to get by for herself. And then she was waiting for her family. So like that right there, like there's a vulnerability to the character, but then there was also the independence of being on her own and being able to obviously handle herself in a fight and, and speaking up to uh, whoever the guy was, Handing out the portions, whatever those were. Uncar uh, Plutt is his name. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, so she was she was strong enough. She showed enough backbone, but still also had that softness to her that let you know that, yes, she was a feminine character, but that didn't mean she had to be girly in the you know negative sense of the word. Which I think is awesome. They Girls haven't had that in a Star Wars movie. If you think back to all the other, um, you know, movies... There's never been, like, aside from Leia, who doesn't really go into battle, aside from, what, the few times she actually had a blaster and shot a stormtrooper? I mean, she doesn't go into battle, so having a character like that for girls to look up to is awesome, but she's tough enough that boys can look up to her and be like, wow, that is so cool. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah, I nowhere in that movie, at any time she was doing something, did I go, oh, great, it's a... It's a female empowerment thing. Yeah, right? Like, girl power. I can wield a lightsaber. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that. You know, speaking of lightsabers, I did want to ask you guys, like, what, what your impression of Kylo Ren was? Because I, my opinion was that he wasn't nearly as strong as I thought he was going to be. And I wasn't really into that. But then I started to think about it. And I realized that that might open him up to be really cool in the next two movies. Uh, I will second that, actually. Um, he was very weak. For a Sith, he was horribly weak. Um, well, they I, never said Sith, though. 
No, but he he's tr- you can tell he's training in the way he has a master. He's training in the ways of and they said they were going to complete his training and it's yeah. not Jedi training. So of, yeah, right. of the dark side, though, not yeah. of the Sith. But he 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 was still a weak villain overall. I mean, even yeah. if he's not officially going to be labeled Sith, he was a very weak villain. He 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 threw a temper tantrum every time he got mad. I mean, yeah. honest to God, I was watching and I'm like. Wow, it's my ten-year-old babe's better than yeah, that, right? you know. It's it was it's the age-old complaint people had about Anakin Skywalker in the prequels. Oh, he's just a whiny kid. Well, okay, but Kylo Ren's kind of like that, which I makes sense because if you're going to be Anakin's grandkid, you're going to have that. I just I think I expected him to be stronger, and you know, it just seemed like you know his dark side. He wasn't, you know, it took him like thirty seconds to get a lightsaber to fly somewhere. I'm like, man, a normal Sith Lord just hand out in the hand that kind of thing and but then again like i say i i think it, it opens it up to where in episode eight you could have him go way into the dark side and just all of a sudden become almost as powerful as vader kind of thing and i think setting the whole thing up about where she says you're afraid you're not gonna be as strong as vader i think giving him that goal of trying to be as powerful as darth vader is is a really cool angle to go for well and they he flat out said his training wasn't complete you know and he said he still saw um, you know, light in him and, and uh, what I gather from it, him killing his father is leading him. Now he's done. He is completely going to the dark side. There's no turning back. There's no hope of saving him unless something crazy happens at the very end, like, you know, with Darth Vader. But, um, I think that he's going to go through a lot of training and I think he's going to come back and he's going to be scary as hell in the next couple movies. That's my, yeah. what I'm catching. And I, I, th- I think you hit on a good point about, you know, killing Han Solo because that was the first thing I thought of was, you know, when he said, well, I have to do something, but I don't know if I'm strong enough to do it. He basically was killing Han to give himself that, you know, pushed into the dark side to try and get that goodness out of him he's like i killed my own father kind of yeah thing. that was that terry was talking about with in the room with vader's helmet of you know i feeling the pull to the yeah, light to the still light like side. he was still yeah and we know from you know the from the original trilogy and especially you know they you know they they, they talked about it in the emperor's throne room and then they expounded on it with anakin in the prequels that the more the more heinous stuff you do the more dark side you become. So to me, you know, killing Han, that was his way of, okay, well, I, I need to get this good out of me. So I'm going to just, which who knows if that's going to prove to be fake, a fake way to go to the dark side. If you're just doing it because you think that's the way to do it, instead of you're actually that evil, you just progressively do more evil stuff. But, um, that's the way I read it, read into it is that he was killing Han to push himself to the dark side further. Yeah. Uh, on first viewing that, you know, when you're first hearing the dialogue, it sounds like he's more asking for Han's help in coming back from the dark side. Mm-hmm. But then on a second viewing, and I'm sure, you know, the, all the nuance will come out, the more familiar we get with the movie, but, uh, it definitely seems like instead he was kind of proclaiming exactly what he needed to do to get the light out of him instead. And uh, what I think is really interesting about that is he never it's it's always been said that the sequel trilogy would not so much deal with good and evil. So just because they're dealing with light and dark side, like Kylo Ren is not he, he doesn't want to go to the dark side because he likes being evil. He likes being powerful. So he feels like, 
gaining more power is what he needs. So he's going to choose the dark side to do it. He's not choosing the dark side because he thinks it's just so cool to be a villain. No villain ever thinks that they are in their own mind. They think they're a hero in some way. So there's something that's driving Kylo Ren where he has this quest to just become the most powerful creature in the galaxy. And he's emulating Darth Vader in that respect. I don't think he saw Vader as a villain. He saw Vader as an incredibly powerful force user. And that's what he's trying to pursue. Yeah, and he, and, and you, you can also tell that he doesn't know the full Darth Vader story. Because when he says, I'm going to finish what you began, that makes it obvious. He doesn't know that Darth Vader turned back to the light. Exactly. To the good side. He, he doesn't know. He just thinks that you know Luke, Luke Skywalker or the Emperor killed him and then burned his body. Right. And so he, he, he figures that there's this legacy of evil that he's fulfilling and it's it's fake. So I mean, I, I wonder if they're going to do that with the character, like where he finds out eventually that that his belief system is based on a lie because he didn't know the full story. Is, is that something that Snoke is keeping from him? Mm-hmm. And that that's that's how they're training him. Is that how? I mean, Grant, we're getting into fan theory at this point, but no, I mean, it's, it's a good, it's, it's a good question to ask. Because I mean, like we were talking about it through a text thread the other day with the Force ghosts and all that stuff. Like, how does you know, Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda not get to Kylo and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, no, you're not you're not gonna martyr me doing all this evil crap. Like I fourth quarter conversion to the light, you know, like we <laughs> right? we did this here. Like I'm good. Like I realized I screwed up and you shouldn't be going down the same line I did. So like is Snoke getting in there and giving him ninety five percent of the story you know, and not giving him the, that end of where, and maybe that's where Luke comes in now that, you know, he's he's old enough, Kylo's load, or old enough that not so much, you know, granted, there's going to be a lot of lightsaber fighting, but sooner or later is right. Luke going to get through to him and go, no, like this, everything you've been fighting for was a complete lie from yeah. Hux, Snoke, you know, everybody else in the first order well who outside of luke would have even known that vader turned at the end i mean he he told some people obviously otherwise well no they might still and, and have, even they if might he told still... anybody who would who would have believed him at that right point, like too. The, yeah. once the death star blew up that secret died right there like no one would have known unless luke explicitly said so even them even him burning vader's body at ewok village that might have just been perceived as we're just going to finally put this villain to the ultimate rest and this is just luke honoring his father whether he was you know the monster of the galaxy when he died or not and luke was by himself when that happened too it's not like there was there was a mass group around this like you know the you know being happy or you know like kind of like how every jedi went down that you had the the council or or anybody else around you know celebrating life there like luke did it by himself so yeah did he did he take that with him you know that's some that's another story that we have to theorize on is did luke even tell anybody or or is this something he kept to himself because you know that was that was the father-son moment there i imagine he at least told his sister i can't imagine he wouldn't have told leia that i figure leia might have known through the force and everything like that and anakin explicitly told him to do so yeah so true i mean you would assume he would have mentioned it to her i mean and maybe the re- like you guys were talking about Kylo, you know, why why isn't he seeing any Jedi or hearing anything from them? 
maybe he just he's he's so far gone at this point it's not even something that can enter his mind and maybe when he was saying he's i'm having these doubts and i'm having this problem maybe that was them trying but he was already so far gone they couldn't get through enough to him to actually get whatever message they were trying to convey to him yeah or maybe maybe they're going to say something about snoke being so powerful with the force that he can blocks it out he can block you know the influence and stuff like that you know oh so you can't see force ghosts or something yeah and you know the whole thing like i say it's it's like you and i started talking about gwen is that kylo ren while he seemed weak it opens up all these doors i mean we just talked for what like 10 minutes about what it could be all because he just didn't come out and he wasn't just destroying everybody like darth vader because that that's certainly how he was portrayed before Mm -hmm. the movie came out all the advertisements Uh and stuff like you really left the theater from episode seven disappointed in how he was portrayed in the film. But like you said, it's I think we're also going to come out of episode eight, nine, really surprised, like, holy crap, like after seven, like that's what he's doing now. Like, well, yeah. I, I wasn't disappointed in him at all, though, because he is still the biggest threat to anyone in the galaxy at this moment. You know, well, that's Snoke. We don't know. All Snoke's been doing is giving orders. We don't know anything more about him. But as far as people who've actually been on the front lines doing stuff, when Kylo Ren shows up, people die. That, they, they almost made made it come out like Hux was a, bad, a bigger badass than Kylo, though. Like, granted, it was in a little underhanded, sneaky way. Like, Hux's got to be, he has to be related to Tarkin somehow. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, right. that's, that's the parallel that they're striking right there. Is, you know, Tarkin was in charge of the entire Imperial military. So he was actually the one that was more known as far as what he was doing to the galaxy. But Vader was really the thug going around. He was the boogeyman that was striking from the shadows. Man, and Tarkin Kylo Ren. didn't care either. He'd, he'd crawl up Vader's ass, too, just the same way Hux was doing Kylo. There's very few people that would voice their opinion to Vader and everything. Tarkin didn't give two craps about what Vader thought, right. did anything. He knew... Ultimately, he Tarkin was the guy in charge. Ultimately, right? Like and, you said, Vader was the thug. He was he was the hired hired help. Yeah, Tarkin and Hux will bark the orders, and the stormtroopers will come down and execute their will. But Vader and Kylo Ren are the ones that are going to be leading those stormtroopers, and they're gonna they're gonna get their hands dirty, bloody, in fact. And I do just want to say, for as weak as he was, the scene at the beginning when he stopped the blaster was really cool. That was awesome. That was so neat because that that hadn't been done before. Yep. And I was like, wow, yeah, that, that was, was so cool. And then when he just let it go, uh-huh. I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so awesome. That was the best moment he had in the movie, honestly. <laughs> you said right? you weren't disappointed. Like, they really, they they toned him down after that. That first scene, Kylo was, like you said, that force. Of, it was scary. Like, this guy, yeah. he is the baddest of the badass. And then they, they just kind of toned him down a little bit with the little temper tantrums and stuff. It kind of just took a little bit away from him, in my opinion. I, that's all. With further viewings, I like that they did that because I started thinking about it. And even though he's weak and you do walk out going, man, I thought he'd be more of a badass. At the same token, I realized that they couldn't make him this enormous badass because then all they did is just recreate Darth Vader and give him a different name. And that would have been so stupid. Like, oh, well, you know, Darth Vader was the biggest bad guy ever. But yeah, there's another one, and you know, it's just he's just as bad as Darth Vader. Like, oh come on! And really? like you said, that that was the defining moment of the movie when Ray 
got up into him and she was like i i sense the fear in you that you yeah you cannot be darth vader and yep like that was that was tugging at his manhood right there having ray somebody that's supposed to be so weak compared to him telling him like you you're nothing that was but. the thing is he it, here i'm it, I, I get the impression that before the events of this movie no one had ever really challenged him because he was the only guy, well, he was the only guy with a lightsaber in the whole galaxy at that point. So anyone, anyone who saw him just basically crapped themselves. And so he got this big ego and sense of power that was really undeserved. And as he kept on coming up against larger and larger obstacles throughout the movie, he started doubting himself more and more. And that's, you know, that's when he ran out to Snoke and he's like, I need more help. I need more training. Like, I can't handle this because he never had been challenged before. So he, he goes walking around with this undeserved sense of power. Right. And when he when he comes up in the face of true power, like like Ray has, where she's just coming from a place of pure good. Now he's got to question everything that he's been shown and taught from this point forward, because he didn't know that all this other stuff existed or or how fragile his power base really was. Right. And that's another good point, too, that. It wasn't until Han told Finn and Ray that everything was real. So obviously everybody that is around that age of the 20-somethings, the Jedi, the Sith, all that is nothing but story. Because there's no, there's obviously none around. So like you said, you know, Ray's wa- or, uh, uh, Ren's walking around with this false sense of power that he's... He's the ultimate force in the world because all the stories you heard, that's me now, you know, because there's no Jedi's to back this up. There's no other Sith to back this up. He's he's the top of the food chain now. And like you said, now that there's other people around, now that he knows that there's people that can challenge his power, it's it's bringing him back to that sense of reality of where he really stands in the in the world. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I almost seem like his character right now seems almost like a combination of Vader and Anakin. I mean, I know they turn into the same character, but you know what I mean? Like he's got that just purely dark, evil Vader thing from you know episode five, but he's got that whiny, unsure, teenagerish Anakin from the end of episode two, beginning of episode three type of a thing. Right. He's got he's got that crux built right into him where it seems like there's something more important that he's trying to accomplish and he's getting it done by any means necessary. The same path that led Anakin to become Darth Vader in the first place. Anakin never went down that path because he wanted to enslave the galaxy and slaughter countless hundred thousands of people billions of people probably he did it because he had this one overarching goal of saving his wife and yeah. and whatever kylo ren's motivation is he's he's just using the dark side as a means to get there instead of doing it as a means of being a villain yeah see i honestly what i picked up from the movie and maybe i just picked it up incorrectly when he said he was trying to finish what vader started I thought he was just trying to wipe out the Jedi and that's why he wanted to get Luke so bad. Like they were like, we, he's like, I need that droid back in one piece. And they're like, well, whatever, if we destroy it, we destroy it. And he's like, well, no, how, how strong are your men? You're telling me they can't bring me a droid. Okay. I want the droid. He wanted that map. He wanted to get Luke. And my, what I thought he wanted to just slay off all the Jedi, but that's just how I had interpreted it. That was the only thing I could think of. I'm like, well, Vader was trying to, he he killed off all the Jedi as far as everybody knew they were extinct. 
not that they yeah, were. Yeah, until, until they knew that Rey had powers, Kylo knew that Luke was the only Jedi walking the Earth. The one thing standing between him and the ultimate power, you know, saying, I'm the one that finished all this, you know, like grandfather, people before him, you know, you guys couldn't do it. I finished it. So, yeah, it makes sense that he just wanted that man. He just wanted to kill Luke, you know. So, Grant, it's it's like you said, what is the defining thing that's driving him to it? We still don't know yet, but ultimately it was his his end goal was just to try to find Luke and kill him and say, I'm the one that wiped out the Jedi. But, you know, obviously Ray put a little wrench in the plans there. And it, and it really opens up some interesting story possibilities because if he's, you know, let's say, because I, I, I took it as, and it's it's very obvious what you guys said. Like, oh, he wants to eliminate the Jedi and Luke. And yeah, I don't mean obvious. Like, that's so dumb. You picked something up. I just mean in terms of, it, you could see that that's a very good way to look at it. And it probably is what it means. I saw it as like this embodiment of evil and, and building the dark side kind of a thing. So I saw it in a little bit different way. And I think it opens up such a cool thing that he can do with his character as a result, because since, you know, he doesn't know how Vader turned out. He doesn't know who Luke Skywalker is, except for him being the last remaining Jedi. He might not know that Luke Skywalker is his uncle. It's possible. Yeah. We don't, we, we don't know exactly when, well, well, we know that he was, he was an apprentice at the new Jedi Academy mm-hmm. that was covered in the movie. So he's met Luke before. So the question becomes, what was the falling out that caused him to completely lose his mind and destroy it all, as Han Solo said? He didn't actually say that he killed every one of the other apprentices. Yeah, it actually shows it. It shows it in the Force Vision. I noted, I noted, I noticed that today. When that, they show the Knights of Ren for that split second in the Force Vision, all in, in the rain and all that darkness, there's nothing but bodies around them. So the inference was... And this is actually from the novelization is that uh, that was sh- showing Ren killing all of the all of the other Jedi trainees. Like so, the Padawans. Are, so are the other Knights of Ren also um, people from that academy that turned with him? I guess we'll find out. See, that's one thing. And I know this is a little bit off topic, but I did read something today. And just so, you know, as we go further talking about this in, in further podcasts and whatnot, apparently the novelization of the book and certain comic books and uh, I can't say comic books for sure, but I know the novelization and there's a couple of like the, the teen oriented books for the new movie and the new Canon explain in further detail stuff that's in the movie. So for example, like everyone's like, well, how did Maz Kanata get the, get the lightsaber? Well, we don't know, but we do know that the way that the lightsaber came back was that in the book it was explained that somebody found it in the industrial depths of Bespin. Now how it got from there, that person to Maz Kanata, we don't know, but it does explain stuff like that. And you know, in the Force Vision it did they that's how I discovered that was in an article today. It said that the Force Vision was showing Ren after, you know, killing all of the people at Luke's Jedi Academy or whatever they want to call it. That that's what that was. Cause there's, there's nothing but bodies on the ground surrounding him. Okay. So yeah. So it, it does, it, it does have an explanation, but you know, it, it's, it, it's so cool that, that by making Ren a weaker villain, it opens up so much more that, 
he could be. I mean, because if you think about it, it it's kind of already setting up an interesting story arc that does differ a little bit from the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy in that you have Ren who's going to – Kylo Ren who's going to finish his training with Supreme Leader Snoke. So you've got this you know, Sith rising up to become all-powerful. But then on the other side, you're going to have Rey training with Luke Skywalker to be this uber Jedi. So it's almost like they're building up this Clash of the Titans. And it, on either side, the same thing is happening just on two sides of the Force. So it's, it's kind of cool because we never saw that before. It was just one person. Like it was Anakin going to the dark side in the prequels. And then it was Luke Skywalker becoming a Jedi in in the original trilogy. Now you've got kind of like both things happening at once. Yeah, yeah. There was always a, a more powerful evil. And the good had to rise to the occasion throughout the movies. Whereas, um, or, or the opposite, in the opposite case, where the Jedi were at the height of their power at the, in the prequel era. And then Vader rose in power, unbeknownst to him, he was going to turn. But, you know, he rose to power to match the match their power by episode three. Yeah, and, it wasn't a simultaneous thing. Right, right. So now we've got them both growing at the same time. And what I'm really curious to hear is exactly what point Ben became Kylo Ren. Because he was apparently on track to be a Jedi. He was at the Jedi Academy. And then, according to Leia, Snoke turned him. So where did Snoke come from, and how did he pitch such a good deal to Kylo Ren that, that Ren decided to tear down the Academy? Yeah, that's, there's, there's so many open storylines coming out of this movie. And that's, that's one thing I read in all the reviews and stuff like that, is that the one thing you come out of this saying is, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about, you know... Captain Phasma was only in like two scenes in the movie or something. I mean, you thought she'd be in it more like what, what does she have to do with this? And, um, it, it's really cool. And I, you know, going back to my original point to, you know, close up shop tonight, that was, you know, my concern was that because it wasn't a very original story. Now my concern is that they're just going to rest on their laurels and go back and borrow from, you know, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi when what you could do based on what they've done in this movie is go in all these crazy different directions because there's so many different possibilities that I'm just hoping that they don't take the easy way out with episode eight. Cause I've, I've already, I've already determined like I'd love episode seven, but I think how much I really truly love it in the long term is going to be based on what happens in the next two movies. Exactly. That's <laughs> it's because like weird, you just said the exact words of they can go in infinite directions. So, it's like we said earlier, are they were they fishing to just get us all hooked with the story of seven and just have it is is seven a standalone story or is this simply the first chunk of this trilogy that you need to literally have eight nine to make seven completely make sense? Yeah. So, I see I I think I think that is the one difference between episode four and episode seven though, because episode four was a standalone movie they, they had a, a specific ending where you didn't know you know you, you didn't have to have other movies that came after it if it had if it had been a flop you'd only have that one movie blowing up the death star is an ending that it's over like the good guys beat the bad guys whereas this one 
because they tacked on the part about Luke Skywalker at the end, you're not you're not just gonna go, well, who the hell's this old guy? And then never make another movie. <laughs> so oh, yeah, they it's totally set up for the sequel. Like yeah. unlike the original trilogy, where like you said, you could have almost ended the story at any point. Yeah, this one is. The next movie doesn't even have to be episode eight. Like it could be episode seven, part two, essentially. Like yeah, they, exactly. Kind of like, and we brought it up before with the Marvel thing about how they're they're they've already brought it up once and they're going to do it again with the Avengers in a few years. Is that it's going to be a split last movie? You know, the Hunger Games just did it. You know, yep. is ultimately is Harry like, Potter. So, yeah, you know, ultimately, like we are not going to know until eight comes out that. Was seven this standalone story, or was it supposed to be a beginning to another one kind of kind of thing? I, I really, I really think it's the beginning to another one. And part of me wonders if, if they really are going to do a ten, eleven, and twelve, if there's a huge story and this you know sequel trilogy just sets that up because, like we just said, you're building up you know Ren to be like the next powerful Sith. And then you're building up Ray to be the next powerful Jedi. Well, what if you get to the end of nine and that's what you have is these two superpowers. And then that all sets up what happens in 10, 11, 12. I mean, to me, I would love that. I, I think that would be really, really cool. Yeah. And that, that goes to what we were saying before of the original storylines that we get now, unlike the originals being four, five, six, and then a trilogy or, or a prequel trilogy, you know, that you knew where it was going you know, this could be our next prequel trilogy to 10, 11, 12. You know, right. this, this could simply be nothing more than getting the motor going on a whole new Star Wars for the next generation. Yep. And uh, that, I think that's a good place to leave it. So uh, very, very good discussion for our, our first time, uh, despite the lightning storm that set us off track in the beginning <laughs> yeah you don't you don't count on thunderstorms in cleveland ohio on december 23rd but uh hey we'll take 67 degrees i was wearing a t-shirt today i i had a hoodie on and i had to take it off because i was hot but uh gwen thank you very much for coming down hope you had a good time this was uh awesome to get your input and uh, i think it's pretty obvious since we're in your house you'll definitely be on again on the Moof Milker mic, <laughs> we have we have to call it that. I mean, as as soon as Han Solo was on the Falcon in, in the Force Awakens, some Moof Milker did this, that, and the other. I'm like, oh, everyone's going to be calling stuff Moof Milkers. So I mean, you gotta. Well, if a bunch know. of nerf herders can't use the term, <laughs> yeah, get, right? Get on it now. We need at Moof Milker on, <laughs> on Twitter before somebody else takes right. it. We're gonna we're gonna go on the internet and all of a sudden like find we, that there we actually need to buy is domain a, names. We need yeah. it now. We're going to find another podcast that already took Nerf Herder Council. We're like, all right, we're the Move Milker Council. Then hell with you. <laughs> you know, it'll be that. But uh, yeah, anyways, um, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, I think the schedule's probably right now to be posting one every two weeks until we're sure we can pump them out every week. Um, so, you know, stay tuned. We'll have the next one out in a couple weeks. Uh, again, I'm JT at Dog Pound Jedi. He's AJ at Drake Adams 579. He's Steve. At JSteve1005. Our guest host tonight was Gwen. I'm sorry, I don't do Twitter, guys, so you'll have to follow uh, my husband. <laughs> there it is. So follow follow Steve to get the Lady Sith's opinions. And uh, this has been the Nerf Herder Council, and we will catch you guys next time.